Charles Louis Mortgage Advisors, 0161 959 0166. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Forever Blue podcast. And uh, before I introduce my guest today and give you an idea of what we're going to talk about, I just want to say a big thank you to charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, who are the sponsors of this podcast. So without them, there perhaps wouldn't be one. Uh, and thank you, of course, to everybody who listens. But if you're in the process of buying or selling a property, whether it be commercial or private, want some advice, then ring the number that was on at the beginning of the show or have a look at the website, charleslouis.co.uk, and, uh, and contact them and ask them for their advice. I also want to announce this. Uh, one other thing I want to tell you about is that um, I'm going to be doing or trying out a new app called Wisdom on Saturday, the 18th of December at 8 p.m. UK time. Basically, uh, at that time, I'm going to go live. And if you want to join me via the app, which is free to download from your app store, you can chat to me, ask me questions, give me your opinion, discuss football, city or whatever you fancy within reason. If you follow me on the Wisdom app, as I say, it's free to download. You can find me by looking for my username, which, of course, is Ian Cheeseman. And then you'll get notified whenever I go live in the future, including the one on Saturday. It's a great opportunity and it's an experiment from me. We talk live uh, for all those who include the podcast or just want to have a chat. Download the Wisdom app, followed by Ian Cheeseman. And then at 8 p.m. UK time, Saturday, 18th of December, uh, we'll, we'll have us chat, we'll have us speak. Now, today I have three fantastic guests. Um, let me introduce them one at a time. We have um, from the US uh, sports channel, Sirius, um, but also former City player, the grumpy pundit himself, Mr. Rodney Marsh. Uh, so welcome, Rodney. Thanks very much for your, Thanks, your time Ian. tonight. Thank you. Uh, I also have a journalist, uh, Mark Stein, who is a City fan, who I've met on several occasions, who was at Watford a couple of weeks ago, by complete coincidence, sat along the row from me. Uh, but I know he's a huge City fan. I know how much the club means to him. But he, of course, is an American. So he will have an interesting perspective, both journalistically and because of his nationality. And somebody who's become a friend of mine uh, during the last few months since we first made contact when he was in the International Space Station, uh, Doug Hurley, Colonel Doug Hurley um, of... Uh, as I say, uh, NASA, although now I know he's moved on to other projects, but he's also a City fan who watches the games with his son and is a big and genuine blue. So all three of you, very, very uh, warm welcome. Let me start by asking you, the three of you, what you've made of City's form of late. Um, the game uh, yesterday against Wolves was decided by a penalty, as the top four all were, well, if you include United in the top four, uh, all were decided by penalties. I've seen some City fans suggesting uh, that it was a straightforward penalty that City should have had. But I also watched Match of the Day, the, uh, the English highlights programme, where they suggested that controlling the ball under your armpit shouldn't have been a penalty. Um, what about the overall performance and, and was it a penalty? So let's start with Doug. I assume you watched the game, Doug. If you didn't, have you seen the incident? And, what, what did you make of City and City generally at the moment, the form is showing? I think they've been playing really well. I think generally speaking, you know, we had the little hiccup uh, Champions League, but, you know, it was a much changed team. And, uh, you know, we've had a challenge against Wolves the last few years. They, uh, they, they didn't play a lot different than they did under Nuno, um, in my opinion, but maybe Rodney has a better answer for that. But I think they... You know, they sat back 10 behind the ball the whole, pretty much the whole match and tried to do a break with Treore when they could. Um, and it just makes it tough. I think sometimes uh, the boys come out a little bit flat. Maybe they were a little bit flat yesterday. Um, you know, and they always create lots of chances. It's just every now and again, they're not very clinical. And, uh, you know, as far as the penalties concerned, I kind of look at it this way. They, um, they should have had one in the first the first half and didn't get it. And I, I kind of feel like, you know, things normally work out the way they're supposed to. You know, most of the Premier League refs are pretty good. Um, I'm not saying John Moss felt like he needed to even the score, but, uh, you know, certainly this one was a tougher one. It was hard to tell whether it hit his elbow first. You know, the point is that the defender put his arm up, way up, tried to make himself bigger. 
and you know, kind of got in a position where he was more than likely going to get called for it if it was anywhere near his arm. So um, anyway, thought just in general, um, they saw the game out. Ederson was called on there last minute to make a great save or a relatively good save, um, which is a testament to him and his focus. You know, he could sit there for half a game, three quarters of a game and and just try to stay warm and then to make a, a pretty key save there at the end. Uh, to preserve the clean sheet, I thought was uh, was just a testament to what a great player he is. From where I was in the stadium, as soon as I saw the arm go up, um, even though I've watched the replay since, and it does look as if it hit, you know, just under the sort of, in the rib cage, just under the armpit, instinctively I thought, yeah, that's a block. That felt like a, a penalty to me, but having severely analysed it, maybe I can see the point that maybe it wasn't, but that is how tight it was. Uh, Mark, from a, from a journalistic perspective, you've watched City three times in the flesh just recently, and I know it's a different perspective when you're at the game. Now you're back to watching them on TV and whatnot. First of all, sum up what you think of City's form at the moment and what you thought of, of the game yesterday. Now you're back behind a, a screen again. Honestly, that was for selfishly the hardest adjustment is that when you have I hadn't been there for 20 months and then had the glorious privilege of being there in the flesh for three straight games with when there's nothing like it, two of them away games, which are the absolute best experience you can have as a fan, as far as I'm concerned. And then to be back in the United States and our Champions League game dropped right in the middle of some heavy work and then at the weekend, it's a 6.30 a.m. kickoff here in Texas, which reminded me of just how just how hard it is to get up for those early games. And, uh, you know, I can't whine too much because my my best city fan friend in the States is in California. He's got to do it. He, he's got to be up at 4.30. So that was really uh, kind of slap in the face back to reality. But look, I didn't think it was a pen. I thought VAR was going to overturn it. Um, but on possession, on dominance, on performance. I think City obviously deserved the three points. And look, it's the it's exactly the kind of game that every time City plays like that and doesn't take chances, this is when we're going to say they need a real number nine. Rodney, um, let, let's yeah. see your thoughts then on the, the subjects we're discussing, the match and the handball to begin with. Yeah, um, match and the handball, I thought the... Uh... The first one in the first half was a penalty. I uh, can't remember who the player was. Was it Cody? I uh, can't remember who the player was. Lent into the ball, got it on the top of the arm. I thought he lent into the ball to block the cross. I thought that was intentional. I thought it was a penalty. And then the second one in the second half, I thought the referee, and I'm going to be not as kind uh, as our astronaut here, Doug, um, I'm going to say it was a makeup call. I, I, I think the referee just made, you know, made it up because he got it wrong in the first half. And there's one thing that I've learned, guys, uh, this is to everybody, which I didn't know until recently. At half time, the referees can look at a television of the incidents. They do look at the incidents, which I didn't know that before, Ian. Um, so he's probably looks at that half time and gone. That's a penalty in the first half. I've got to try and make that up in the back of my mind. And that's what I thought about that. As regards to the um, performance, I thought that uh, I agree with the, with the lads. I thought that City dominated the game completely in every area of the field. Um, they did adjust from the last time. Was it, uh, when was the game in when Traore scored two breakaway goals? Was that a couple of years ago? I can't remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've learned from that. They've learned from that and they played with uh, uh, the, the central defender slightly deeper on the counter-attack so that he could never get a run, although he, he did have a couple. Um, but there's one thing about the overall play, guys, I want to say, and I don't know if you agree with this. Over the years, I've found that when a team hits form and is really playing consistently well, it usually coincides with individuals playing great as well. And Bernardo Silva, for me, in recent weeks, and, and probably more than that, is just out of this world. He's just playing out of his skin. He looks like he's on something. I mean, he's, he's all over the field. He's, he's scoring goals. He's making goals. He's tackling. And, and uh, it's all coincided, his form, with uh, Man City's dominance, and, and uh, long may that continue. So is Bernardo the key player? Doug, is, is Bernardo the key player for you? Gosh, this, this season, he's like a man possessed. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. He, you know, it's been well publicized after the, 
what was it the centurion season you know when he was playing in the in the for portugal in the cup and i think he was pretty pretty tired at that point and had an off year the next year and and then obviously the discussion about him potentially wanting to maybe play back in spain uh but whatever he's as rodney says whatever he's on or whatever he's eating or whoever <laughs> uh he's dating uh he is a happy man these days and uh he is playing, uh, I mean, like at 140% every time he gets on the field. It's just, it's just, I mean, it's, it's almost like his namesake, you know, David Silva, you know, he is just that kind of an engine now for the team. And, and he is just, and frankly, yeah, I, he just, he never loses the ball. He never puts a pass wrong. I mean, he just, yeah, a pleasure to watch. And I can't imagine being able to see him in person right now the way he's playing it's just got to be spectacular I'm lucky enough to be able to go to every game and I think watching the game in the stadium it, this is just a personal view is so much more insightful yeah of course. Um, no matter where you are in the stadium and I completely understand that a lot of people listening to this podcast may not be lucky enough to be able to go to games certainly as frequently as I can but for you Mark it, it you know having been in the stadium just recently um, I know you were behind the goal like I was at, at uh, Watford. You can see the amount of ground that somebody like Bernardo covers. I mean, when you TV, I think, is a lot better than it once was because when I started as a, as a kid watching television, the TV screens were a lot smaller. They were lower definition. Black and, and white. Black and white, yeah. You don't have to rub it in, Rodney. Um, and and the, the director would focus a lot more on close-ups. And now they are willing to set the, the shot far further back, which means you can study it more. But still, being in the ground, Mark, means that you can see every blade, literally, that Bernardo covers. And that makes it all the more impressive, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, we... We, we always talk about box-to-box box midfielders. He's flag-to-flag. Flag. I mean, the amount of ground he covers is staggering. And this, I just wish we knew more. And this is where maybe the frustrated journalist in me comes out because it's so much, the access is so much less in England. And Pep is so guarded with the press and he never reveals anything. And it's not like the press can get access to practice and get access to, I would love to hear more from Bernardo what's changed. I mean, in the summer there was transfer talk and now he looks like a player reborn. And I would just love to hear a deeper explanation for what's changed. Mm. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I could have a quick guess at that. If you don't mind guys, I'd like to take a, take a swing at that one. Um, I think that the rise of Bernardo Silva has coincided with the injury problems to Kevin De Bruyne. Um, over the last um, maybe uh, 10 months, Ian, maybe a little bit less than that, Kevin De Bruyne has been in and out of the team. He's not been the focal point. He got injured playing for Belgium. Um, he got injured in the Champions League final as well. And, and the rise of Bernardo Silva is almost he's out of the shadows now. He's become the guy that's, that's making the shadows on other people. And I think that may be a factor. Interesting. And I don't necessarily disagree with that either. Um, right. Let, let me get on to the subject. I really want to spend most of this podcast talking about. Uh, and the reason why I've in, invited you three gentlemen onto this one is because a friend of mine said to me just recently um, that the, the growing influence of U.S. owners to American prem, to English Premier League teams was something he was concerned about. And I said, why? I mean, I'm actually uh, I love America. I go to America a lot on, on holiday when I can. And I've always found American people to be lovely people. And he said, no, that's not the point. It's what they're trying to do to our game. They're trying to, to, to change our game. And I said, well, there are, don't you think there are some things about what they do in US sports that are actually potentially better? You know, that they have things like, um, you know, the, the, um, the draft, you know, and, and players being clubs failing one season and then able, able to win the tournament the next year, that there's a bit more of a level playing field. Now, I do feel as if I'm a little bit out of my depth when I start talking about this because I don't live in the States and I don't, and I don't, and I don't operate in the States. So I thought, let's get three people on who might have a bit more of an insight into the American way of thinking, what they want from sport and, and how it works. So 
to kick off the discussion, I would say I remember when ice hockey came to the UK a few years ago and Manchester has a, an arena which is capable of 19,000 people in the stadium. And the first thing that they did was to build a one of those um, uh, square or cube um, things with the screens on at the top. And they had lots of sort of um, Arnold Schwarzenegger type of um, jingles and gifts or whatever you want to call them on that screen. And the whole entertainment package was about keeping families entertained and bringing people in who weren't necessarily ice hockey fans. And maybe uh, some of the things we're starting to see change in the English Premier League is also aimed to bring people in who are not necessarily football fans who don't want to sit there fully concentrating, looking at the game like I do for 90 minutes, but want the day out, you know, to see some celebrities on the pitch, some famous people, and to go away satisfied with the package that they've seen. Um, so I, I, I'm curious to know what you think. I mean, let's start with Doug as, as, as a non-professional sports person who consumes sport and obviously has been brought up on American sport. First of all, what, what do you think are the pros and cons on, on the way your country does these things? And is it something you would want to be brought more into the game? Is soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, something that you want to protect from the, the Americanization? Um, how, how do you see this subject from your point of view? Yeah, I, I appreciate the, the question because it's, I mean, there's a million different considerations. And I think for me, you know, having, like Mark, I had the opportunity, although not since the pandemic started, I had the opportunity to come over with my son three different times and saw home and away games with City. And the experience of the in-person uh, at the Etihad or even in some of the other, like we, uh, we were able to go to Stoke and sit in the away fan section um, and watch City play, you know, rainy night in Stoke. Um, and it just, the experience is just, unmatched in my opinion to any American sport that I've ever gone to see in person home or away in in England and it's just two hours of the most enjoyable experience that, that I've ever had and I was lucky enough to get it to do get to do it many times with my son um, Champions League Premier League home and away and uh, I feel very strongly that you know while there might be tweaks that can be made here and there I'm not a fan of seeing the game change at all, um, frankly, you know, and it's not only the American owners potentially that you're talking about, Ian, it's, you know, FIFA talking about a world cup every two years. It's this, it's that, you know, I, my yeah. biggest worry is the players, uh, you know, the already, the demands. I mean, what did, what did they play last year? 60 games, 61, City, yeah. 61. And, and to me, that's the product. The product is the players. And, Certainly the stadiums, like Tottenham's new stadium, certainly the Etihad, certainly some of these stadiums, that it, to me enhances the experience. And that's what I look for. Um, our experience, uh, we certainly paid for it, but I, I enjoyed it. We, we were in the Tunnel Club one time and it was spectacular. I mean, I think that's the best sports money I've ever spent and I'd do it again tomorrow. And it's just the way City manages that heated seats. I mean, gosh, it was awesome. Um, well, there'll be so, people listening to this, Doug, who yeah. who who actually, you know, the sort of fans who generally go regularly. So, well, there you go. There's an example of, of uh, you know, bringing in glass walls to see the players go past and mm -hmm. putting all the people in the, the best seats in the house who are not necessarily the hardened football fans. They'll yeah. use that as an example of the way that the sport is changing to exactly the thing that they don't want to happen. Well, I think, you know... Uh, the ticket prices are such that, I mean, I think the average fan, although I hear that prices are going up just like they are here in the US for any sporting venue, but I, I don't feel like for the money that I would that I did spend going to England, albeit it's not inexpensive flying to England from the US and back and spending you know, a week there, but you know, I, I thought it was well worth the, what, what we did spend and you know, sitting in the away, the away seats at Stoke, same thing. Um, you know, I, I would just like to see the game not get changed drastically because I think what we have as a product right now is spectacular. I think what we get to see in the United States, in fact, it's in indicative of the contract renewal for NBC Sports to get the 
contract for Premier League for another, gosh, six, seven, eight years. They do a great job. You know, they use, you know, the, the, the different commentators that they have that are over there in England. And yeah, I, I would have a hard time seeing it changed. I think take advantage of it with the certain situations where you have wealthy owners come in and, and, and make the experience for the fan better. But I, I don't think you need to, you know, turn it into whatever we do in the Super Bowl because frankly, I, I can't, I can't stand that halftime show in the Super Bowl. Never have liked it. You know, I want to take my 15 minutes. So I want to go get a hot chocolate or a warm cup of tea. And I want to go back and watch the rest of the match. And so, um, that, yeah, that's my two cents. Well, and I'll get Mark's perspective in a second, because I know yeah. Mark covers a lot of sports in the States. But Rodney, you were out there in, in the... Uh, what late yeah. 70s early 80s as a player yeah. then you became an owner at Tampa Bay you live yeah. out there now um wow you must have a fascinating in, uh, you know insight really into this from from all different angles um indeed I do um th there are uh, this could be a three-hour podcast by the way I won't take three hours of course but I believe that the that the American owners in particular, and I'm, and I'm dividing the American owners away from the rest of the, uh, the oligarchs and the, um, you know, the sovereign wealth funds and all that. I'm, 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 I'm taking Americans out of that and using the comparison. And that is this. When I first came uh, to America, it was in, it was in um, uh, 1976. I left the Manchester City and it was in March the, uh, of 1976 that I signed for the Tampa Bay Rowdies. The owner was a guy called George Steinbrenner. Excuse me, excuse me, George Strawbridge. I later met George Steinbrenner that summer, right? And the thing that they, that they, they did is they have business first. They want the business to be right first and get every aspect of the business. Now, Americans look at sport as entertainment. I think the guys would agree with me on that. It's an entertainment thing first, generally speaking. And my point about it is this, is this Ian. When I first arrived, there was a press conference and, I had, you know, the media was there and the fans were there. And they said, we're now going to present Rodney with these new Rodney Marsh number 10 shirt. And they held up this shirt with Marsh 10 on the back, the big number 10, and everybody applauded it. Well, about six months later, I came back to Manchester and I was interviewed by Gerald Sinstat. And he said, he was on Granada television and he said, Rodney, what was your experience? You're back in Manchester. What was your experience? I said, Gerald, they've got to have numbers on the and names on the backs of shirts. They've got to have the names on the backs of the shirts. People looked at me as though I had three heads. Names on the back of the shirts in soccer? You can't do that. Well, here we are now, 40-odd 40, 40 years later. Everybody has their name on the shirt today. So that was an innovation. I've got so many more, but I'll let Mark jump in. On, I, think Rodney, I think Rodney is exactly right. It would probably take us three hours to do this topic justice because there are so many layers to this, and it really depends on your perspective. I, you know, Some of the things that we do here in the States – could certainly enhance the game, but there's obviously some things that, that would be reprehensible. And as an American, I, you know, I find them reprehensible to think about starting with, you know, the super league. Why did the super league offend people so greatly? You know, promotion and relegation is what this sport is. You know, it's the spine of this sport and you have a bunch of foreign owners who want cost certainty. They don't want promotion and relegation because they want to know that they're cashing in, their zillions every year. And, and so, you know, that's, that's the extreme example of, of what the bad influence can be, but look from a match experience point of view, I mean, the English game is so far superior to our sports here. It's not even close. And, and, and I'm interested to, to, you know, I remember being a kid when Rodney came over here and follow, you know, I knew him as an NASL player before, I even started following city. So, you know, I, you know, Rodney Marsh of the Tampa Bay Rowdies, that's how he came into my life. And I remember there was that famous quote you had, where I think you said something to the effect of, you know, football in England is a gray game and gray weather with gray people, something like something <laughs> along those lines. But yeah. I think, I think it's the opposite. Now, when, I, when I go, when I was just at three city matches 
and the passion is off the charts. And the NBA is my work sport. That's the sport I cover. It's so damn expensive. The quote, true fans are priced out of it. It's filled with business people who are there to people watch and see the jumbotron and eat nachos and be there for the night out. And it's not, it's until the playoffs come, it's not about the game very often in the NBA regular season. Whereas, you know, I was, again, I was just at city and, you know, for 15 minutes straight, the fans can sing the new Ruben Diaz song without stopping 15 minutes. I mean, it just, it's a level of passion you, you will never see here. And I, I know Ian, I just, I told you this story when I just saw you, but I'll, I'll repeat it again for, for our audience. Say, the first time I ever saw city play away to crystal palace in 1996, I started following the club out of a magazine in 1980, but I didn't actually see them with my own eyes till 1996 and city were getting destroyed that day down three mil the whole second half, the city fans never stopped singing. And as an American, I had never seen anything like that in my life at NFL, NBA, NHL, baseball, whatever the sport is, just nothing I had ever seen. And so I desperately hope that there are no changes that, that ever change that because you know, the atmosphere at a Premier League game is something that's magic. Mm. Isn't it inevitable, though, that these changes are going to happen because... Uh, you know, money speaks. Um, I don't think so. And the, and the reason I would dispute that is I do think the fan voice in England is still heard. Not, you know, a, a club still listens to the fans to a degree. They don't do everything the fans want. But you, you see, a, the fans can still get a manager sacked. That doesn't happen here in the States. Like I, and you saw, the, you saw the vociferous anger from the fans in response to the Super League proposal. And in a matter of days, you had multimillionaires apologizing and backtracking as fast as they could. And I thought that kind of was heartening to see that, that, that the public to some degree is still listened to. Mm. At the risk of sounding patronizing, which I certainly don't want to be, as an American fan, um, what, what do you think, uh, Doug, for example, about a 25 minute interval, if it was to be brought in, so that there can be a bit more singing and dancing on the pitch. And I, and, and I specifically want to know what you, how you think that will affect the, the sport, because um, football to me is all about the, the continuous movement of it all. And I, I know there are critics who will say the game stops now, you know, that out of 90 minutes, they might only be playing for 60, that 30 minutes of it, especially when you play Wolves or Crystal Palace, the ball's not in play, you know, the goalkeeper's taking out all the time you can to take the goal kick. But the whole point is that you build up a momentum, you, you build up a, a pressure. And suddenly, if you have a 25-minute window or the game, you know, in my opinion, heaven forbid, goes to quarters or something like that to have an extra ad break, you're yeah. you, losing the essence of what football is can you see that and I said I don't mean this is a patronizing question Doug but can you see that as a an American fan who's been brought up with other sports but is now clearly a fan of football no I I I, I mean certainly you can imagine it but it's kind of like what Mark said you know this it doesn't appeal to the to the real fan the true fan if if I've got to go sit there for a half an hour and watch and and no offense uh, to any of these entertainers, whether it's Lady Gaga or Beyonce or even the Rolling Stones. I, I don't want to have a half an hour break between the first and second half uh, of a match, even if it's, you know, towards the end of the, perhaps the end of the season. I mean, you know, certainly American, certainly American professional sports, there's not a huge halftime entertainment on, on an average, average game, average, average, you know, you name it. Um, there's a little bit of pageantry before they start, you know, we do the national anthem and a lot of those and that kind of thing. But typically the halftime, uh, is not that until we get to the playoffs or the all-star games or the Super Bowl. Um, so no, I, I would absolutely not want to see it. And I'm sure you could get potentially some opinions, you know, from a player's perspective, from Rodney's perspective, I I'm not sure it's best for longevity for the players to sit for a half an hour um, at halftime. I mean, to me, that seems like if you cool down that much, um, you know, the, the spike in injuries may, may come, 
you know, may affect, it certainly is going to affect the play as the players come back out, you know, it's going to take them a few minutes to kind of get back to where they were at the end of the first half. And so, yeah, I don't, and once again, it's never, ever, I don't care if I'm the biggest fan, if it's Oasis, uh, if it's Oasis coming back to do a reunion tour, which I would absolutely <laughs> lo love to see uh, even then. And I'm sure Noel and Liam wouldn't do it uh, anyway, but the, but the point is, it's just, I, I yeah, absolutely would not want to see that happen at all. I like the Forgive 15. me for, a, for a, a devil's advocate question, though. When yeah. you sat in the in the tunnel club, were you not a preferred 25 minutes to be able to sit there and enjoy a bit more food and wine and whatnot before before coming out into the cold for the second half? Nope, nope, not, not in the least. I, I mean, I enjoyed that experience. I, I figured, you know, you know, what else are you going to spend your money on? Although it was a lot, it was, uh, it was well worth it. And I, you know, my son and I just enjoyed it beyond belief. You know, it was just for the experience. But by the same token, I was like, I was out in my seat about five or 10 minutes early, just watching um, some of the players coming back out to warm up. And, you know, that experience to me was, was, was awesome. And, and just to, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted the match to start again. I was ready for the second half. Now, there are downsides, Rodney, to being a player in, in extending breaks, including more breaks. Ian, that's the first time you've mentioned players. Um, this is something I do all the time. Um, try and put a player's perspective on this. And I'm American. I'm an I'm a American citizen, uh, but I was born in England. And I cannot stand the English condescension that they know everything better than the rest of the world. And the Premier League knows everything better than the rest of the world. And it's like, yes, we'll take, you know, we'll consider uh, the um, uh, every two years having the World Cup. And, and the, because the English owners of the English teams and then, you know, um, and then the halftime, 25 minutes because the Premier League would like that for this reason. Doesn't anybody ask the players, what do you think about 25 minutes at halftime? What do you think about the French League? What do you, th in, in Spain, what's the Spanish League? What do the Spanish players think about 25 minutes at halftime? You never get that. You, it's always, this is what we want because we want to make loads of money. And it's the entertainment business. They want to have more fireworks. They want to have more opportunities to sell more merchandise and concessions at halftime and get more and more and more greed. And they never ask the players. So is the potential for change coming from foreign ownership then? Well, that's the point. That's the whole point of the conversation, Ian. Um, do you want me to speak from an ownership, a fan or a player's point of view or even a journalist's point of view? You've got every perspective. That's the whole point, <laughs> Rodney. You've got every perspective and, and, and that's why the perfect guest on this. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll speak from a fan's point of view because I was actually a fan before I was a player. I used to go to Arsenal Football Club when I was eight years old with my family, my dad and the uncles and all that. So I'll speak as a fan. And I tell you, something happened in football about three years ago. Now, you guys might have forgotten this. I haven't forgotten this. Liverpool Football Club and the American owners of Liverpool, they upped the season ticket price. Excuse me. They upped the individual game price to $77. Pounds. 77 pounds, Liverpool owners, right? And the Liverpool fans, who ain't got the most money in the world, by the way, they were, they were absolutely catatonic. They were, they were, right? The next game on the 77th minute, Ian, you remember this, you must remember this, the fans walked out on 77 minutes. They all walked out the stadium and the others went, oh, no, change that, change that, change that. <laughs> so the fans can have a say, yes. That's, that's a strong message and you make a very good point there. I mean, does that happen in American sports, Mark, where you, you've hinted already that it doesn't? No. Uh, it, it, it must it, happen it, somewhere, surely. Fans have a say everywhere, don't no, they? No, it really... It, it, and look, I don't want to make it sound like fans have this overwhelmingly powerful say in England because they don't. I mean, you know, the business and the money do ultimately win the day more often than not. But to me, it is a definite difference that fan discontent is is far more far more attention to it is paid in England 
when the fans are upset than 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 it is here. And uh, you know, I, look, I, I think it also a lot of this also depends on your perspective because I've had I've seen people from the club at City and from other teams in England that come here and they come to an NBA game and think it's incredible. They love the atmosphere. You know, it's so different, just like as an, for an American to go to, to go to city and see our team losing three nil and the fans never stop singing for me. That's like a life-changing experience. I'm sure if you've only gone to football in England and then you come to an NBA game with all the bells, whistles, noise, music, dancing, you know, that probably wows you too. And, and, I'm guessing for Rodney, when you first came to the NASL with cheerleaders and everything else that they were trying to do, that it, it probably made you, uh, it, it, it seemed lively. Mark, Mark, if you don't mind, I'll jump in his response to that because <laughs> my first year uh, in, in, excuse me, my second year in Tampa, we played an indoor season and uh, we kicked off the indoor season. It's fiber side and what, you know, and it, obviously on hockey ring uh, with AstroTurf. And the general manager came up to the players before the game and said, okay, guys, he said, this is a big opening night for us. We got this, we got this. He said, and we're all coming into the stadium tonight on elephants. And I went, (laughs) what? (laughs) He said, yes, we've got Bush Gardens in Tampa. This great big Bush Garden zoo here. We've got like 12 elephants coming and we're all going to get on the elephants. <laughs> Are you mad? What is wrong with you, man? <laughs> so, but we go on the elephants and we come into the, and the fans went absolutely, it was just brilliant. So entertainment versus the sports. Yeah, I, I don't I don't follow NFL at all. I have no interest in it. I, I've, I've tried to go to a game. They played some games in England. Um, actually played them at Oldham Athletics Ground, believe it or not. And it was four hours long. There wasn't the razzmatazz, there wasn't the weather. And I thought, this is just boring and it's dreadful. It just certainly wasn't for me. Yet if I came over to the States and there was an NFL game taking place somewhere nearby, I'd be desperate to go to a game, not because I like the sport, but because I want to see the razzmatazz, because I want to see the cheerleaders, I want to experience the, the American vibe, you know, and, and yeah. I wouldn't care less who won the game or what the result was, or wouldn't have any understanding at all of the match. And that might even apply for to the NBA, because I'm not I'm not a basketball fan. Our city and other owners of, of football clubs in the Premier League not aiming for you guys, obviously not you three necessarily collectively, but 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 fans who come over for two or three games at a time or or whatever now and again to have that experience because I'm in the away end sometimes at city matches and around me are very obviously tourists who are taking selfies who come in 10 minutes after the kickoff who leave 15 minutes before the end and you can hear them muttering to themselves better go now because we're out tonight we're at a show or something like that and and those people might have paid three or four times the normal ticket price to get a ticket because they're so rare. And the club must think, great, we've got these people coming from another country. They'll, they'll buy a lot of merchandise. They'll go back and, and they will have had the experience and tell all their friends and they'll want to come and do the same. So, you know, that takes you away from the very essence of what I think or have experienced certainly in my lifetime of football. These are people who are sports tourists, football tourists, Manchester City tourists, not Manchester City fans. Now, I'm sure if they were speaking honestly and openly and I had somebody sat next to me now from the club, they would say yes, they would welcome that. Um, I mean, I've told this story before where I came back from an ice hockey match in, in Belfast uh, coming in on the day of a game, City, I think, were playing on the Sunday and United were at home on the Saturday. The plane was completely full of United fans. I sat next to a guy and his son on the plane and I and I said, I take it you're going to the game, are you? He said, yeah. He said, we're season ticket holders. I go, right, or do you come over for every game? He says, no, we have a season, two season tickets in the family. There's three brothers. They've all got two kids each. So when the season comes out, we circle um, the games and we pick, say, five of, of the 
the games each per season. We come over, uh, we come to the shop, we buy all the merchandise we want, we have a great day out, we go back, and then my brother comes with one of his kids next week. And I said, the club must love you. That's exactly what they want. They want people like you who come over here and, and buy into the whole razzmatazz of, of merchandise and stuff like that. And, and they will make a fortune from you. So isn't it inevitable that the Premier League, that City, that which is our club that we care about, are going to go down the same route inevitably and just, just go for more and more razzmatazz, City Square, whatever you want to call it, and, and try to capture a different type of audience than the boring people like me who turn up at the game, <laughs> watch it, um, you know, consume it, but I don't buy loads of merchandise. I don't buy shirts. I don't even have time to buy the food and the drink on the concourse. I just watch that. They don't want me. They want guys like like you coming over for, for little breaks, don't they? But, but Ian, Ian, wouldn't that be a perfect question for Doug? I, I would think, Doug, that's a perfect question for you, isn't it? Go on, Doug. Over to well, you. Well, yeah, for me, uh, yeah, I want the, the experience, but you know, I, I'm probably a more diehard fan than the, than the tourist fan, you know, more like Mark, you know, I, I, I planned, uh, our trips were always planned around how many matches could we get in in a week and, and try to just move our schedule around such to come and, and get to go to as many. But Mark, matches. you buy, you buy the merchandise, buddy, don't you? I bet you buy the merchandise. Yeah. <laughs> this one, actually, this one's a nice one. Ariel Castillo, who is Man City US, actually sent this to me. Um, so every now and again, I get one maybe for free, but, uh, yeah, we buy the merchandise. My son's got, uh, a home and away kit from, uh, yeah. every, time, every time we went over there. So we spend, not only do we spend the money to go fly over there and the hotels and the meals, but we spend the money at the stadium too. But, uh, but we are the, I, I think differently than, you know, Ian, you described We're we are not the. You know, the folks that show up 10 minutes after kickoff and leave 20 minutes before, you know, we go for the whole experience and it's all about, there you go. Merry Christmas. <laughs> we all buy it. We all buy it, Ian. <laughs> I was just listening to the podcast. Rodney's just showing his Manchester City Santa hat to us. Yeah, screen, yeah. So. so, yeah. So, I, you know, we're, uh, you know, yeah, we're not... Technically, yeah, we, we'd be tourists coming over, but the whole reason we go on that trip is to go see City play, Sure. period, you know, and everything else is just a way to get to see City play. So, you know, not someone that's maybe touring England or the, you know, the UK, um, although I'd like to do that. Um, you know, it's all about going to see as many matches as we can and maximizing yeah. our time at the, at the stadium. I don't know if, Mark, you were at any of the tour games that City have played in the last few years in the States. I know Rodney and I have been a couple of similar games, but not actually bumped into each other. But I was at the game in the LA Coliseum when they played Real Madrid, uh, and it was a full stadium. It was, got to be honest, mainly Real Madrid, or at least people wearing Real Madrid shirts that were in that stadium. And uh, But what shocked me was that this was a pre-season game where... Uh, it was fairly obvious, long, long way out, that City were only be sending their, uh, you know, young players because there were, I think it was a World Cup year or a Euros year or whatever. So they were only ever going to send out uh, a shadow squad, and yet the ticket prices for that game were generally in excess of one hundred dollars each. Yeah. And I thought, my goodness, I, I, they're not going to fill that. St and they did; they filled the stadium over a hundred dollars each for a second team friendly. Now, City fans in this country would have big question marks about whether they could justify that sort of cost for an FA Cup final, let alone a pre-season friendly with a shadow squad. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of talk over the years of, of a, you know, a 39th league game or cup finals being moved to other countries and whatnot. Is that, is that something that you can see happening? Is it something you would want to see happening? And you have an interesting perspective on this one because you love watching the games here. In my experience, the game over there was not the same as it is here, certainly not atmosphere-wise. Yeah, you look, I love to... I love to fancy myself as a pretend mank because I've been over there so many times and it's kind of like an adopted home, but the 39th game is, that is a subject that I will argue with quote real city fans or Mancunians or locals. I will desperately argue that one because I think it would be 
a good measure to take because let's face it. I mean, look at the city team now. I mean, yes, there are some British players, but if clubs are taking players from all over the world, there's nothing wrong with putting, you know, let's try the league cup final in a different country. Uh, you know, the, the league cup final is constantly derided as, you know, who needs it. We've got the FA cup. We've got the league, we've got the champion. Let, you know, let's try a league cup final abroad. If you, if you don't think that all 20 teams in the premier league can handle a 39th game abroad. But I think that kind of experimentation is good because it does grow the global brand. And I've never understood the argument that says, well, I've gone to city games my whole life. I never miss a game, but okay, that's true. That's fine. I'm not discounting that, but you are, it's not like you're, you're taking players from all over the world. So it's okay to export the game on a small degree to, to a different place. I see Mr. Marsh wants to chime in. <laughs> can, I, can I put the counter view on that, please? Um, I hate the idea of a 39th <laughs> game in America. And I'll tell you why. Um, let's, let's put a scenario out there. A scenario being Manchester City playing Liverpool and again, play in Los Angeles in front of 100,000 people. We've got the television there. We've got everything. And it's a brilliant, brilliant game. How do you feel if you're a Man City fan that is struggling meeting your bills, you're struggling meeting your mortgage, and then you suddenly got to fly out to Los Angeles for an away game? How do you feel about that? But that's where I, I guess, look, and that might be a step too far. That's why I say, let's try, you know, let's, let's start small. Let's start with the league cup final abroad. You know, there's no rule that says it has to be at Wembley. I mean, we're playing this, we're playing two legged semifinals at Wembley now before the final, which makes even less sense. But, you know, again, that's, I never understood that argument because so it's okay for the Manchester person to say, it's not, I have to be at every game and now I have to fly to Los Angeles, but it's okay to, it's okay for a Manchester based club to take players from all over the world. I mean, that to me, those two things don't square. Well, not, not to get into a long drawn out argument with you, Mark, but I'll put it the other way around. Let's say um, the Super Bowl this year is between Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, my boys, uh, and the Dallas Cowboys. And suddenly they say, okay, this year, we've got the Super Bowl in uh, Barcelona. How would you like that? But that's a Super Bowl compared to one oh. league game or one or, the, again, the league. Oh. Cup. The so league it's a little cup. bit pregnant. It's a little bit pregnant, is it? It uh, depends on the, uh, the league cup is so far down the scale. Let's try. Let's try it. It doesn't have to be America. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's Asia. Maybe it's somewhere else. I'm just saying I, I, that level of experimentation to me is not going to is not okay. going to destroy the game. Okay. How do you feel about yeah. this, Doug? Well, I just, you know, to to kind of piggyback on what Mark is saying, you know, the NFL does that, right? They come to England, a couple teams come to England a couple yeah. times a year. League games. Yeah, and they're league yeah. games. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, maybe that is an idea. You know, I I've in fact I wanted to ask Mark if he's he went to the to the city the, the, the Derby that was in Houston a couple of years I was, ago. Yeah, yeah that, I was, was, uh, I, that was my, that was my last preseason friendly. And look, though Ian's totally right. Those are generally terrible. Yeah. The, the fans from the, from the two clubs never get to sit together. So there's, it's really hard to generate any kind of, I mean, it doesn't even come close to replicating what, what going to a real game in England is like, but all that said, there are a lot of people who just going all the way to the UK for a game isn't possible. Getting tickets for games is really, really, you know, I I'm so lucky that I have a network of friends in Manchester season ticket holders who will help me with that. If you're just trying to go for the first time and you're not sure what to do, it's really not easy. So just the chance to see even the second, third, fourth choice city players in Houston, it's, it's a big deal. And, and that game, was so memorable because it was really Foden's senior bow. And he was, I thought he was the best player on the pitch yeah, that day. Yeah, and yeah. I, I treasure having that chance to see, you know, very, a very young Phil Foden on the field, looking like the best player in blue. Mm. When I come over to the States. I always try to go to a sporting event and um, 
whilst it might not be every English person's cup of tea, I'm a bit of a baseball fan, so I always try to go to a baseball game. Um, but when I heard that the Red Sox were playing the Yankees at West Ham, you might have thought, oh, he likes baseball, likes American sports. I bet Ian will be keen to go down and watch that. That is the last thing I would want to do. If I want to watch a Yankees uh, uh, Red Sox game, I want to watch it in Yankee Stadium or at Fenway Park. I don't want to watch it at West Ham. I don't want to watch, I mean, I'm not an NFL fan, as I've said. I don't want to watch the Jaguars at Tottenham. If I'm going to go and watch the Jacksonville Jaguars, I want to watch them wherever they play in Jacksonville. That's the difference for me. The essence of the sport is in the country that it's from. Your Honour, I rest my case. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know where we, where we, where we go really ultimately with Actually, this. Actually, I, I, you know, like I, I can't resist because, like I said, you know, Rodney is an absolute legend, and and you know, having first known him as as an NASL star before I even realized he played for City. Like, what did you when you first came here? What did you think? Because an American crowd obviously is, you know, excited and there's dancing and all this stuff, but it it couldn't have the atmosphere, you know. And I went to some NASL games. The the California surf was my local club who I'm sure you remember playing against. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're playing yeah. at Anaheim stadium and on a, you know, on a baseball field with, you know, dirt in the middle of the pitch. What, what did you think of American crowds when you first came here? I absolutely loved it. I loved it. Then I love it today. I love the American attitude toward all sports. I just love the positivity about America and a very quick, very, very quick story. Um, again, on the Gerald Sinstat interview that I did when I came back um, for Granada, um, I said, I've already noticed a major difference between uh, Britain and America. If you've got an idea, and it can be any idea, it can be a business idea, it can be a, uh, a techno idea, it can, you know, it can anything. If you've got an idea in, in, in England and you put an idea forward, the person you're talking to will say, yeah, but what about if it rains and the game's cancelled? Or what about if there's, you know, there's a strike on the buses and we can't... And what about if this goes wrong? And that, In America, they go, well, that's a good idea. But we can make it better. We can do this and we can do this. And I, Ian, the first thing I noticed was how positive Americans are. Um, so to answer your question, Mark, I absolutely loved it then. I still love it now. With the NASA background, you know all about positivity and making things happen, Doug, don't you? I mean, you, you talked a little bit earlier on about uh, maybe one or two tweaks could happen. So let, let, let's finish the podcast on a sort of positive um, way, then much to I'm sure Ronnie's delight. I mean, what are the positive tweaks that you would bring in and, and could see coming from the States and enhancing our game? Um, you know, one thing that it, that is need to see that I, I haven't noticed a lot in the, in the English stadiums is the, the proverbial big screen. You know, those are always good for seeing replays of, of plays. And that was one thing that I noticed that, you know, it would have been good to see that goal again, because that we, we don't normally get to see, you know, and they do that a lot in, in some of the American stadiums, you know, gosh, you have the players watching themselves in a football game running down the field to see if there's anybody behind them on the big screen. You know, it's, it, it's pretty neat, but you know, that, that to me, if, if, it, if they could do that would be helpful because it is, you know, not getting to see the replays. And then of course the whole VAR process and how they've worked through that. And that's still not clear to me, depending on which stadium you're, you're in, whether you're going to get to see the VAR replays to the same degree. And I think that, that for me would add to the experience without maybe affecting the game significantly, um, you know, off the top of my head, I think that, yeah. that would be something neat to see. Hmm. I mean, you must find it hard to believe then that a stadium like Old Trafford, because City have got a couple of screens, of course, at one end, right. but a stadium like Old Trafford, which claims to be, you know, from one of the biggest clubs in the world, hasn't got a screen. You know, Anfield, Liverpool, hasn't got a screen. Um, I, I find that um, staggering. But on the other hand, as a bit more of a traditionalist, I think the last thing I'd want to do is see sick people around me looking up at the screen rather than actually watching with their own eyes down on the pitch itself. I mean, that, that would just feel wrong to me. Hmm. I, you know, I... 
I would just, I, I think it's just the other thing. It's so hard to please everyone. Like, I guess it just, like, I think if Rodney walked into Loftus Road today, if they brought him on the pitch at halftime, the fans would be singing songs that they sang for you in the 60s. And I would think like that would melt you just as it like, but like you're saying you, yeah. you like our atmosphere better. And like, I guess that just stuns me because especially in the seventies, you guys were trying to teach a game to people who really didn't understand it. So I get, I, I, that's the thing is, I guess it, it all depends on your perspective. I just went to, I just went to England, just had, just went to three city games and I was just, I couldn't get enough. Like, you know, so, you know, I miss it already so much and to me an america there's no sporting atmosphere in america that can even compare to one city away match but other like i like i mentioned before other a lot of brits i know like rodney say they come here and i bring them i see them at an nba game and they think an nba game is the greatest two hours they've ever spent so it really depends on your perspective is there any value in this because this is this is one thing that i'll sort of conclude with this conversation for now at least with maybe we'll we'll regroup at some stage in the future and continue this discussion but um city have introduced a third kit for example that's got man city on it oh. across the front and i'm very proud oh. of the fact that the club's from manchester and i see Man City is the wrong expression. But I, yeah, I've seen members of, of American supporters groups saying that they love that shirt because that's how they think of City, as, as Man City. So my final question, and this, I don't want to alienate any of the US audience that might be listening to this, but my question is, is Manchester City, is Man City, whatever you want to call it, is it our club in Manchester? Is it a worldwide club? Do you, as as um, you know, residents of another country have as much entitlement to have this club. You know, we want a game in our in our country. It is Man City, and if some of the games are played in in New York, so what? It's Man City. It's not Manchester City. It's Man City. You know, where where do you stand on that? I mean, it, is it inevitable that the, the brand will eventually just become a global brand and not a Manchester brand? If if so, that's to me, I'll go first, Ian. If that's to me, yeah. Um, yeah, go on. I've never changed my opinion about this since this since the age of eight, and I'm now in my mid fifties, so uh, I still feel the same way. <laughs> um, football is for the fans. Football's not for owners or TV. It's for the fans that go out there and they put their clothes on and they're freezing cold and they go to an away game and they have their hot drink and they stand through the rain and, the, and everything and they get soaking wet and their team loses 3-0 and the referee gives a, a bad goal away and they go back and, they, and they're angry and they go back and they kick their dog and they do jump up and down. They're so angry, they're angry and angry, but they go to the next game. And I believe that, that football, I, I believe sports, it's for the fans first. The fans if who you attend, get, you're saying. Pardon? The fans, you, you're suggesting the fans then who attend predominantly are the ones. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's why. That's yeah. when I said about being at the game with the hot drinks and getting soaking wet. I didn't mean sitting in the television. So, <laughs> yeah, um, it, it is for the fans that go to the games and buys the tickets. It will always be that way for me, and it will never change. Mark, you might have an opposite view to this. I don't no, I don't. I don't. I don't think that there's any fear of Manchester losing the club. The, the, the club is not going anywhere. If, if you want to compete on the highest level, if you want to be a world power on the pitch, you're going to have to let these other revenue streams come in to compete for the most expensive players. I mean, that's just the way it is, but it's, it's never going to, the, the club is never going to be ripped out of Manchester and taken away from, you know, the, the people who are born with it and love it. I mean, but you know, in my experience, Americans who want to go over there and experience, you know, we want to, we want to be like that. We want to be embraced in it. We want to be embraced by the, by the local fans. And I have to say, again, I have been going to Manchester since 1996. And that was a time when there were not a lot of Americans going to, to, to pay visits to main road. I have been treated so well. I have always been received so warmly so open the very first trip the my my host flew down from manchester to meet me in london to to take me to selhurst park franny lee was on that flight with him then the chairman he told franny lee about me 
And when I got to Manchester a week later, the club arranged for Mike Summerby to give me a private tour of Main Road. And I was, they didn't know me. Oh. I was nobody. I was just this crazy yank coming, coming to Manchester. I have always been treated that way. But, you know, now that, you know, 25 years, years on, City's in a much different place. The club is much bigger. But there, there's nothing to be afraid of from, from some of the outside influences. Again, I, I'm with Doug. I don't want halftime shows. I don't want the games filled with Americana. The game itself is a beautifully packaged two-hour experience. But, but nothing bad is going to happen from, from City becoming a worldwide phenomenon. And I think I'm right in saying from our previous discussions, Doug, which, by the way, you can find on our, the YouTube channel, um, you are a proper football fan, a proper soccer fan, and not just a tourist who's been attracted by the glamour of City winning. And I think you, without putting words in your mouth, you want City to remain a Manchester club that you can come and enjoy now and again, rather than change into something that becomes more Americanized. That, yeah, that's what attracted me to to it, among other things. Certainly, they, they're, they're uh, the class and quality of the club now, the players, is, is just incredible to watch uh, and made so much better when you get to see them in person. But also just the history. The history goes back to the 1800s with this club, with English football. And to me, that is as fascinating as as where we are today, frankly, um, just the history and to see, you know, being in the third tier of English football and working their way through and leadership changes and venue changes and just embracing that history and, and, and enjoying that history where the club has come from, but not wanting to change that history. It's just remembering it, uh, enjoying it and, and seeing where the club has come. And, and, and like Mark said, I, I could not tell you how wonderful you you are treated when you come to the to the matches. Uh, it's just absolutely they uh, going on a tour. I, I remember that I just have to tell this one quick story. My son, uh, I think it was the first or second time we came over. Uh, anybody who's had young children knows that they're a little bit fussy sometimes about what they want to eat. And um, we were that just happened to be that time we were in the tunnel club. And I looked at the menu and I was like, oh boy, we're in trouble because my son Jack is not going to want to eat anything but the dessert and a soda. And uh, he, he mentioned that just to the, the wonderful uh, lady that was taking care of us, she said, he said, do you have chicken nuggets? And literally 10 minutes later, Jack had a plate of chicken nuggets. And, and that's just, to me, that said so much about the club. Beautiful. So beautiful so much about and and it's been that way every time we've gone it's just an incredible experience and and to me i just like being part of this this the the, the club's history and to see where where we're going you know where pep is taking the team where bernardo silva is taking this team it's just i just get such joy out of being you know part of it and don't want to change it what I would also say is because of the success of the team over the last decade uh, or 15 years, it is a global brand now and let's embrace it. You know, let's embrace that it is a global brand, take advantage of it. Uh, but, you know, don't stray from your roots. Don't stray from being Manchester city uh, football club. One quick no, thing. One quick thing, if I may. Yeah. One quick on. thing. I would just like to say that, uh, I am an animal lover, and my figure of speech earlier about a fan going home soaking wet, kicking the dog, was just a figure of speech. I, I am an animal lover, yes. Yeah, we, we know that, and, it, and there's a an certain irony that, uh, that Doug, as a, as a former astronaut, um, values the atmosphere so much, because um, I guess you have more reason than, than most to enjoy the atmosphere, Doug. Um, thanks very much for, oh. for the time of all three of you to Mark. Um, we can follow your, I know you did a fantastic uh, blog that you sent me a link to. Uh, how do people uh, consume your work, Mark? They just check out the Stein line via Substack or the Stein line on Twitter and uh, more NBA coverage than anyone has time for. Brilliant. Well, it's been uh, an absolute joy to have you. Um, 
I know I'm on with you, Rodney, this week on the Grumpy Pundits. So yes. I'll be speaking to you on Wednesday. And that's your main main role these days, isn't it? Yeah, Sirius XM, um, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We'll speak to you on Wednesday. And also on uh, I'm on Twitter, Rodney Marsh 10, if you want to give me a tweet. Fantastic. And Doug, uh, now that you've retired from being an astronaut, dare I ask you what you're up to? Well, I'm, I'm working for an aerospace company out here in uh, beautiful Utah, living in the mountains. And uh, we are uh, incredibly happy to be here and kind of embarking on our next phase uh, of our lives. And uh, unfortunately, the, it just makes the trip to England a little bit longer now that we're out in the mountain west in the United States. But And as Mark mentioned, we have to get up a little bit earlier now for your leave. It was 5.30 yesterday uh, for the Wolves game, but I was up at five making coffee and uh, ready to go for kickoff. Beautiful. Well, three magnificent men. Thanks very much for your, for your company this evening and for giving me so much of your valuable time. It's very much appreciated. Uh, thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, the Chartered Mortgage Advisors, and all to do with the, uh, the transaction process of buying and selling houses. The, their support for me is, is very valued. And remember, uh, download the Wisdom app. Uh, follow me, Ian Cheeseman, on there. And at 8 o'clock UK time, uh, on Saturday, the 18th of uh, December, I'm going to go live on there and it'd be great to chat to you. Maybe we can talk about this broadcast. Uh, check out the, uh, the the vlogs that I do, of course, uh, the latest one being on the game at the weekend and uh, hopefully the Leeds game on Tuesday night. And uh, in the meantime, um, have a great week. And uh, remember one thing, never forget this. It's great being a blue. <laughs>